Bonfire Press and Studio Erbo present Chronicles of the Essence God, Children of the Essence, by Eric J. Cockrell and Chuck Pino, read by Michael Goodrick. Chapter 9, The Extraction, 8594 B.C. sky lit up as an explosion rang outside the tower. The boy screamed for his parents. The wall across from him, peppered with small round nooks filled with various belongings, began dropping its contents to the ground as the room continued to shake violently. Cracks began to form along the walls. Frightened, the boy grabbed the blanket at his feet and pulled it up over his head. A pounding at the door reinforced his fear, and he slipped down onto the ground and burrowed under his bed. The door flung open, revealing a man on the ground, with much of the doorway blocked by a collapsed wall. Sabik, are you in here? The man spun around and crawled into the room. We have to go! Please, come out! He limped toward the bed, when an unexpected gust of wind lifted the covers, and another man appeared in the room, between him and the bed, brandishing a dagger. My friend, do not be alarmed. He spoke in a dialect that matched the man's own. I am Island Suarez, and I am here to help. I can get Sabik to safety. Then why the dagger? What have you done? The man stood before Island more tense than ever. The explosions and crashes heard from outside compounding his anxiety. Babak, right? Asked Island, followed by a nervous nod from the man. I am here to help. Escort your wife to safety, and I'll ensure the survival of your son. Babak balled up a fist and stepped forward, raising it toward Island's face. She's already gone. The room across the hall was blown out, and she was lost. Sabik is all I have left. I will tend to him. Don't make this difficult, friend. If you want your son to be safe, he will need to come with me. I will not divert from this mission. Island stood firm. Then we will not be friends after all, Babak shouted as he lunged for Island. Island gripped his green blade tightly, and time appeared to nearly freeze. He simply stepped aside and released. Babak flew past him and slammed into the bed. Now, shall we continue like this, or can we be friends? Island spoke calmly as another explosion rocked the wall of the bed, and the ceiling began to crumble. Babak again made a move for Island. We don't have time for this. Any apologies? Island leapt into the air and swung his foot around, knocking Babak in the side of the head. Babak slammed to the ground hard. Babak looked up at Island, too shook to move. That time I didn't even use the essence. Can we end this now? As Island finished, a tremor shook the entire building again, and a beam began to break free of the ceiling above the bed. As Babak laid there, unable to do anything, He watched Island grab his blade once more. Everything slowed to a crawl. Island reached down and flipped the bed upward, bringing his right arm down to scoop up Sabik. He released the blade, and the ceiling crashed down in that corner of the room. Island turned and nodded to Babak, and was swept away in a gust of wind. With that, Island and Sabik were gone. The winds of change slowed. An island paused and gasped for air. He then dropped to his knees. Are you okay, child? He asked while examining the boy. The boy was silent. 
He stood in awe as he glanced around the cavernous room that he was brought to. A door opened along the wall ahead of them, and a man entered and approached the two of them. He was a tall, slender man. His tiny nose turned up a bit, and his sideburns dropped a little further than they probably should have. The latter caused some less mature colleagues to refer to him as Longburns. Matter Yellon? Longburns asked, knowingly. Island rolled his eyes. That is the mission. Are you taking him for processing? I'm due back in minutes. Mr. Suarez, time is meaningless. You can wait with this boy all day and still make it back in minutes. Longburns looked down the paper. Much the same, I'd like to get on with the mission, Island politely retorted. Oh, interesting. This boy is due before the council themselves. All right, you're cleared for deployment. I'll escort the child. Island gripped the stone dangling from his necklace, and with that, was gone. Babak laid there on the ground, his anger failing to peak. His home was crumbling, and within moments, his wife and son were lost to him. His spirit was crushed, but his story was not over. After several minutes, he found the strength to pull himself up. Having already fought his way through the hall, the window appeared to be his best escape route. He ran to the window and looked out. As far as he could see, there was destruction. In desperation, Babak hoisted himself onto the ledge and spun his legs out of the window. He lowered himself down a bit until his feet reached another ledge. The tower continued to shake, complicating his already weak foothold. Babak flung his back against the wall and kept moving around the exterior as fast as he was able. The lower rooftop of the building next to him was his best chance. As he rounded the building, he could see survivors making their way to the roof and shouting down to the ground. The jump was not going to be an easy one to recover from, but Babak had to make it if he was going to survive at all. It was for Sabik. Everything was for Sabik. He could not be gone. With another shake, the ledge below Babak was beginning to crumble, and the choice to leap was immediately more appealing than falling. Babak leapt from the tower, attempting to roll with the fall. The building below was absent of comfort as his skin tore and almost certainly bones broke. Babak was able to recover from everything thrown at him thus far that night, but this was nearly unbearable. A couple of the men on the roof ran to his aid. Are there others? One man spoke. None with me, at least not in the tower, replied a broken Babak. What has happened? He asked. We're not sure, but so far as we can tell, the inner circle has been destroyed, and the rings are not likely to hold. Babak laid his head back and closed his eyes. Not even a half hour ago, he was relaxing in his suite and discussing some of the day's trades with his wife, his son in the next room. Within minutes, his entire life was snatched from his grasp and he laid a few feet away, a mess of a man. A scream came from a couple yards to Babak's right. He ended his pity party and looked over to see four men appear out of thin air. Shoving the women aside, they grabbed the children on the roof and vanished again. The roof began to shake and crumble. The men rushed to the edges to look for the abductors, but there was nothing to be seen. Arguing broke out among the survivors. As Babak laid there, a man approached him once more. Come, let's get to the edge where there is more support. Just leave me to die, Babak begged. I can't say whether you'll live or die, that's beyond my control. But I will not just leave you here. We are in this together, the man replied. 
The stranger dragged Babak to the more structurally sound side of the rooftop and sat him up. There, you just might survive after all. I'm sore, but I'll survive. It appears to be my curse. Babak wiped the sweat from his forehead. Timar, who are these demons? A woman approached the man and Babak. Babak spoke. I spoke to one as he abducted my son. He claimed to be helping, but he grabbed my son and left me to die. Timar left Babak's side and stood up. The shelter across the canal will be filled with our women and children by now. You must get back to ground level and make sure those children are protected. Babak attempted to stand. Timar leaned down to help him to his feet. You should get somewhere safe. You're in no condition to protect anything. I will not lay here as the children of Adaryelon are snatched by demons, Babak said in anger. Then you'd better be able to keep up, because we need to get there with haste. Come on, everyone, let's go. Timar began toward a staircase that was built into the side of the building. Brady, we're getting close, but we've still got many to find. Any thoughts? Island shouted over the rumble of the ground, which was opening in places at an alarming rate. The center is clear. We know there are some in vessels that are doomed, save a few. I suggest we collect the ones in the chambers below before they're flooded, and then reassess, Brady shouted back. That makes sense. I'll follow you. Call it in, and let's get some more help over there. The columns that stood along the canal beside the duo began to buckle as the tremors became stronger again. Island noted that as they walked above the canal, water levels were rising, slowing their pace. A strange sensation suddenly came over Brady. He paused and put his hand back to signal for Island to stop. What is it, my friend? Island asked. You'll know in a moment, he replied. The crashing ahead of them kicked up dust clouds taller than most of the surrounding buildings, and a dark fog rolled in. A burst of energy pushed the pair back as a wall of dark figures emerged, slowly approaching. Wastes! We're too late, Island! Brady's head dropped. We don't know that. We were supposed to have more time. They can't all be gone, Island argued. You know as well as I do that these remnants of lives lost due to time manipulation are never a good sign. This whole place will be flooded with these wraiths if the water doesn't get to it first. We've done all we can do, Island. We need to call it a day and regroup at HQ. Brady brought some authority to his voice. That doesn't sit right with me, Brady. Hugo, I'll catch up. Island began heading toward the shelter. Island, that was an order. Look, we're too late. Whatever you find will be lost anyhow. If whatever happened here created these wastes, any survivors have been affected as well. They are basically waste themselves. They will not be processed. Island ignored his partner and kept walking. The air thickened as Island approached the wastes. These hollow shells of what should have been were not of much concern to Island. He'd encountered them regularly enough. It was a rare occasion when one would physically manifest enough to affect anything, so he wasn't careless around them, just not overly concerned. Island pushed past the shadow figures and approached the entrance. If the Wastes exited this building, there's not likely much he could do for the people inside. But if any survived, he could not turn his back on them. A heavy odor hung in the air as Island began to descend the staircase before him. Water ran down the steps, washing debris in around him. Island rounded a hall where the ceiling had caved in. He began to haul large stones from the pile, dropping them across the hall, water splashing. This seemed futile. 
It was going to take forever. There had to be a better way. He turned to look down the hall that extended to his left. It looked clear, though very dark. As he approached that hall, a figure approached. Its gray, deathly appearance would startle most men. But it was the push that Island needed to move faster. This waste indicated that somebody had likely just passed down below, which meant there could be others nearby. With the situation wide open ahead of him, Island began to race down the halls. Is anybody down here? He shouted. He stopped to listen for a response. A tapping up ahead gave him some promise, so he again increased his speed. Suddenly, there was a crash behind him, followed by a strong, familiar sound. He turned to look down the hall, and his eyes were greeted by a wall of rushing water coming toward him. Island unsheathed his blade, gripped it tightly, and ran. The water sat in mid-movement, ready to burst at any moment. Island knew that as long as time was frozen, he wouldn't get a response, so there was no reason to shout anymore. He just kept moving. Finally, he rounded a corner and entered a room. Part of the roof in the room had collapsed, and the floor itself had partly caved in, giving way to another sublevel to the compound. Island approached and looked through a crevasse. There, in the corner of the room, he spotted three children, hunched in the corner, terrified. Island slid down the rubble into the room below. As his feet touched the ground, he sprang up and ran to the corner. He stood there looking around the room for an escape. There didn't appear to be anything that could offer assistance. Island sat the children down using his right arm while gripping his dagger with all his strength in his left. When the third child was seated, he let go of the dagger. Without a breath, he shouted to the eldest, Can you swim? The boy replied, I live in Adderyelon. I should hope we can swim. Water slammed into the hallway walls above, causing an ungodly sound to reverberate throughout the place. Then hold on to me and brace yourself for a blast. When that passes, the three of you prepare to swim behind me as fast as you can. Before the children could give an audible agreement, they were thrown back by crashing water. Island grabbed them in his arms and began to pull them. But to his surprise, he immediately recognized that they were better swimmers than himself. The four of them made their way down the halls. Rocks lifted, and Island hoped they did pay much attention to the debris around them. At least, not enough attention to recognize that some of it were people that were trapped with them. The water level lowered as they reached the entranceway, and Island lifted each child to the ground above. You couldn't just leave, could you? Back for more, I see? Babak said as he approached Island with a group of six men to his rear. Is that one of the demons? said one of his men. Demons? questioned Island. You do recall that I rescued your son, right? Babak is your name. I recall you assaulted me, abducted my son, and left me for dead. And now I find you with three more victims? Please, I don't want any trouble, Island responded. The second youngest of the three children stepped forward. Sir, please, he just saved our lives, she spoke. The group closed in around Island and the children. You are not leaving here with these children, Timar spoke up, and we want the others returned to us. A variety of affirmations followed that statement from the other men. Island turned toward the children. You three sit right there and please avert your eyes. I'll be done with this in a few moments and we'll get you someplace safe. The three nodded in unison. Island turned back. Are we really going to do this? 
Babak again threw himself at Island. Island rolled his eyes as he again gripped his dagger. The other six men charged for a moment, and then became frozen in place. Island stood there for a moment. He turned back and looked around. Columns in mid-collapse, towers crashing, lives lost. He had had enough violence for one day. He held that grip tightly and walked back to the children. Tapping the eldest on the head, the children sprang to action. What is this? What is happening? The child asked. I am getting you to safety. Now grab hold of your siblings, Island said softly. As the other two sprang to life again, Island directed the youngest. All right, now everybody hold on tight. I'm going to release the dagger, and I need you to grab a hold of my necklace. I have a safe place in mind. Island dropped his grip, and the child reached out, grabbing the gem. The winds began as Island was accustomed to, but just then, Babak was able to act, grabbing Island and pulling him back. As the winds began to settle, the kids dropped to the ground. Moments later, Island reappeared, laughing. Get up, you guys. That's no way to approach the Essence House. A grand house stood before them, surrounded by a wrought iron fence and capped by a small mansard roof and clock tower. The children stood in awe, and they fell in line following Island up the drive. The group made their way up to the front porch, where a familiar voice called for a dear friend. Well, if it isn't Island Suarez, you look well. Island smiled. Alistair. Oh, I'm sorry, Roland. It's comforting to see you again. Who are your companions, and why do I feel like things are going to get a little wild around here? Roland chuckled. I suspect you already know. These children are in need of a home, and it's probably best that they stay off the official guard record, if you don't mind, Island replied. I never fancied myself a caretaker, but I've dealt with bigger matters than this, I suppose. Of course they are welcome, Roland offered. Oh, thank you, my friend. I will send Mrs. Gianni as soon as I'm able. She's perfect for this assignment, Island said with great relief. With that, Roland opened the door and led the group inside the front parlor. Barnabas, we have company, Roland said as he closed the door behind them. Theme music by Carol Cockrell.